Welcome to the Round 21 episode for 2019 of Ref's Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome, as always, to my favourite NRL referee and my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Have you recovered from the weekend, Gav? Um, yeah, big weekend for me. Well, started midweek virtually. Um, last week, Tuesday morning, our appointments come out and mine was I'm refereeing in Townsville on Thursday night, which for us means I'm on a plane Wednesday morning. Um, so not much time to prepare and, and sort of organise your life around that. So, yeah, for me, I flew out, it's like 9 o'clock, 9.30 on uh, Wednesday morning. Yep. It's an um, early wake-up call on a Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Normally Wednesdays our sleeping. Wednesdays our sleeping. But what it does is it, it changes the whole dynamic of my week because Wednesday's usually our our day when everyone's in together and we we train together as That's a group. That's our full squad. Full big squad day. training. Yeah. So when there's a, a big travel game on the Thursday, that sort of throws that out. So your whole week's thrown out a bit. Um, and that wasn't the end of it though. Then I, I landed home on Friday evening because we had four-hour delays in Townsville to get out because of the winds in Sydney. <laughs> um, so sort of home. Had some, some dinner and off to bed. I had to get up early the next morning because I was running a referees course um, for some young referees coming through for our Be A Ref campaign that, that's out there that you see on our training shirts and stuff. Yeah. So um, I sort of do a bit of that work as well and then was in the car driving down to um, beautiful, warm Canberra. <laughs> um, so you drove down there Saturday night to be standby for the Sunday night game, um, which meant you know, I drove home after the game there, so I got home at say nine o'clock on on Sunday night so I left home Wednesday morning and although I got to sleep in my own bed Friday night really wasn't home until um Sunday night so and just then, shows and then Monday morning waking up to run at what 7 a.m uh, so yeah I had a 7 30 um physical session uh Monday morning so yeah not not much time in between but it just goes to show that we've got to be really adaptable as, as NRL referees because like we've spoken about the past, like a club has their schedule and they know what they're going to do, so they can plan their life and their week around that. But for us, and I'll, you know, I'll sort of throw you into this as well because you had a bit of a, a mixed weekend, very similar to mine as well, where, you know, within 24 hours, um, I've had to sort of jump from, you know, sitting around waiting to see what I've got to organising life for the weekend and, and you know, taking the dog somewhere because... Yeah, you're going to be away as well, so we've got to go and make sure that someone's looking after the dog and organise. You know, we do a lot of stuff with Cooper and stuff like that. So, making sure that you know, everything's handled within 24 hours because I'm not going to be home for five days. And you know, you could put, probably touch on that as well because I didn't get to see you virtually from when I left home Wednesday to Sunday night when you got home at probably 10:30 Sunday night. Yeah, so your week was yeah, similar. It was ha- yeah, it was a happy week. Um, yeah, so you took off. Uh, we're early Wednesday morning. Um, then I flew to. I similarly, um, similarly, <laughs> wow. Um, went to Auckland on Thursday morning. So um, late finish Wednesday night with training for us. We finished till about seven thirty ish, and then yeah, home. Have to unpack, do all the washing from you know three or four sessions during the day on a Wednesday, um, to then fly out to Auckland on Thursday for the Friday game. Um, where it was nice and cold and rainy, um, and then flew from New Zealand on Saturday afternoon straight to Brisbane. Um, so, and similar to you with the delays, I had a two-hour delay there as well. Um, got to the hotel room in Brisbane at about 
8.30 at night um, to then referee a Queensland Cup game um, Sunday afternoon at about 3 o'clock in Ipswich. So about a 45-minute drive from the city to, to Ipswich. Refereed there, which was quite enjoyable. Back to the airport for an 8 o'clock flight home, which was also slightly delayed. And I walked in the door a bit before 11pm at night. So, yeah, like you said, a big weekend and they're the demands that are put on, on referees at at this level, but, um, you know, don't complain about it. De- definitely enjoy it. But it's just one of those things where you've got to really be meticulous in your planning. Um, you know, for a trip like that, for me, you know, I've got to take things for two sets of games um, in different countries and different, different sets of gear because it's different competitions. Yeah, all of that. Um, make sure I still did all my recovery after my Friday night game in New Zealand. Um, then by the time I sit on the plane and get to Brisbane, you know, I'm s- stiff and sore. So then got to do rehab that night in Brisbane and the next day actually went and booked a massage at a place, found a place that was open on a Sunday morning um, just to get to get a massage, to get a bit of a release um, before my game there. But, um, yeah, quite enjoyable but busy. And just sort of um, jumping into that, so I didn't have to run again in my weekend because I was just a standby official, but there was, a, you know, the potential at some stage that that may have happened. Um, and I went from warm to cold. You sort of did the opposite, went from cold to warm. Is there anything in, in your prep? Because I know if you physically, if your body and, and, and what you eat and all that isn't, you know, fine-tuned, um, you could quite easily get sick or, you know, stuff like that because of the, the temperature change. Not a lot of people, you know, we do it, but, look, even clubs, and that, they don't do that within two days where they go from one climate to another, yeah. where we, we potentially get to do that. And you did on the weekend, you went from cold and wet yeah. New Zealand to, you know, Hot. It was warm, hot and windy. Warm and windy in, in Brisbane. Yeah, um, so it's the temperature change, but also the uh, plane, tr- the, the travel as well. So yeah. um, it's pretty well known that that's an area that um, strikes people down quite a lot is, is travel um, and lots of, you know, lots of chance of getting different, picking up different germs and stuff like that stuck on a plane with, you know, hundreds of people. And also how much you would have missed me over those days. Like, that would have been tough. Yeah. <laughs> and on the podcast, people can't see my eyes rolling. Um, so, yeah, you've got to be be meticulous with that. Um, I guess I've got a pr- pretty solid routine in how I know I've got to refuel both with food and, and liquids in after the game with protein drinks, um, you know, the ne- how much fluid I drink that night and the next day when I'm doing my rehab and, and prehab stuff. So um, I do everything I can to make sure that I'm ready to go. Yeah, particularly for you, it's a pretty long flight, one of the longer flights we do, New Zealand to Brisbane or New Zealand to Sydney. And with you know some of the um, surgeries and stuff you had, it's quite easy for you if you weren't to do all that pre- and post-flight, you know, make sure that you're getting your body was, in the best position. You're gonna, it's going to be very difficult for yeah, you to run around little on a things, Sunday morning. Yeah, little things like even on the plane, I always make sure in my bag that I've got the, the lacrosse ball. Um, you know, so I dig that into my back, into my glute, into my hip. Um, so I'm doing little movements even on the plane and in the airport just to make sure that I'm, I'm right to go. So, um, you know, at this level, you've just you've, you've got to be professional in everything that you do. And I know I see a lot of the, you know, the other guys in the squad doing the same things. And for me, what it does is it shows that, you know, the, the amount of professionalism that we have. But if you want to put that down to lower levels that's a part of professionalism that anyone can do yeah you don't have to be in an elite squad to look after yourself and you have that carry a lacrosse ball or a golf ball or a tennis ball mm-hmm. when you go especially if you're in between games in districts where you've got you know a gap or two mm-hmm. games gap between your next game four where, five six games in a day where you know that kind of stuff could be the difference between waking up sore on a monday morning and being able to train properly on tuesday night compared to you know having those niggles and the injuries going forward so yeah. it's just a, a small snippet of how 
you know, no matter what level you're at, you can still have that touch of professionalism yeah. about what you do. Yeah, so speaking of that physical performance, we'll move into the GPS stats for this weekend. And our marathon runner this week goes to John Stone. So again, uh, oh, it was actually John Stone and Phil Henderson, I think. Our stats man, uh, Lockie Dodd, was on fire today. And, uh, Are you going to put him in it? You're gonna I put am. Lockie I'm going to throw him out there because he's... He, Took three emails to get this to get this right to me, but uh, two of them had actually had the same um, kilometres written on it. Oh no, but it was the wrong name. Wrong that's name. what he yeah, did. I was yeah. say that's probably... So it was Phil Henderson. He got this award. Um, Eleven point nine kilometres he ran as the assist referee in the Panthers and Sharks game. That's quite a. Um, Jesus, quite a big distance. Yeah, it's just it, under. Like I said, we've sort of been getting around there. Those eleven and a half, twelve k's now. So. Um, standards are getting higher and higher. Yeah. Um, what was that game? 20, 26-20. Yeah. So, yeah, just would have done a lot of work. Quite quite impressive. Um, you know, tight matches as, as well to have that high physical workload and still be making decisions. Yeah. It's quite impressive. Um, our urgency award this week, again, he'll win it every week. He's got a GPS well just, on him. Might as well just give it to him now every name, week. Huh? Name the award after him is uh, Ricky McFarlane. So 165 um, high XL D cells he hit as the touch judge in that same game, Panthers and, and Cronulla. So I'm sure there was quite a bit of ball movement and tight, um, you know, that tight scoreline sort of adds to that. Um, and our gazelle of the week goes to um, the man who looks like the Terminator when he runs, Ziggy. He hit just over 30 kilometres an hour, 30.2 kilometres an hour as the assist referee in the Warriors and Manly game. So that was across um, the game that I was on. Yeah. And I actually was saying to you before, I'm trying to think of when there was a break in, in play that he might have been um, chasing chasing someone down. Uh, I reckon he's done it running off the field at half time to try and win it. He's just thought <laughs> to himself, I'm just going to put on a quick sprint here without it. Hopefully no one sees it. It's, it's actually quite impressive in that he was... Um, um, very wet and slippery and down one end of the field was quite um, like muddy. We could feel our boots sort of like getting sucked into the ground. Yeah, yeah. So to, to hit high speeds um, in a game like that under those conditions is uh, is quite impressive. So um, moving into probably what was one of the biggest talking points of the weekend uh, was the Simbins, which occurred in the uh, Bulldogs. West Tigers, Bulldogs. Yeah, yeah. West Tigers and, and Bulldogs game. There was one for each team. And there's plenty of commentary around it. People agree. People disagree. The beauty of our game that always creates, um, you know, the, these sorts of discussions. So we thought we'd sort of talk. It also gives us something to talk about today <laughs> yeah, as well. Content. It's all about content. <laughs> yeah. um, so we thought we'd sort of talk about Late hits, whether it be on the kicker or after someone's passed the ball, um, what we look at as officials, what the bunker look at, because um, if a player's is, when we've got time um, and a player's down injured, we can get a bit of advice from the bunker who get to see it in um, obviously more detail than us. And different angles. And if, yeah, yep, and different angles and stuff. Um, and why some of these are simbined, why some of them aren't. Um, and, th- and those differences b- between them, and I guess why we've moved this way as a game. So when I say we've moved this way, I don't mean as the referees because we get instructions from the game, from the NRL, as to what approach they want us to take um, in these sorts of scenarios. But we thought we'd sort of explain uh, the reasoning behind why um, I guess there's a stronger stance this year than what there has been in previous seasons. Yeah, and, and a big part of it is player safety and protecting you know the, the ball players because... You know, if you've played a bit of footy or anything, once you pass and and the ball's no longer with you, your body sort of relaxes, so you're you're very vulnerable for for injury. You know, when you're not expecting contact. So, speaking of that, well, when you look at some of the indicators we look at, we look at you know unavoidable 
contact or unnecessary force. They're the, probably the two biggest things we look at when we're looking at going down paths of you know more than just a penalty. Yeah. We look at you know, was the contact unavoidable yeah. and was there unnecessary force. They're, yeah. they're, so, they're so, the two biggest factors. Yeah. There. So there are times where we say contact is not unavoidable. Like they 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 couldn't they couldn't avoid it. They they were going to make contact, but they could have used less force because by the time the player releases the ball. I didn't have to follow through with that amount of force. And that's where you say un- it was unnecessary. Un- un- yeah. Yeah. And, and so we need to sort of get away from sort of looking at these as being late tackles. You know, I mean, yes, yes, there's going to be difference in timing of them, but it's the fact that the player has no longer got the ball. And those two factors that we spoke about, yes, lateness does come into it in some factors. You know, the later it is, the more likely it is to be, you know, penalised. Yep. Um, but when we look at factors around, you know, why we then take it to the next level, whether it be Simbin or send-off, um, we're now starting to look at the force and, you know, yeah, whether it was unavoidable. Yeah. So um, there's the, the, the force a lot of the times um, is a lot more dangerous when it's in the player's back as it tends to cause more of a whiplash injury. Yep. And you see that when a player slow, when when you watch it in slow-mo a lot of the times, which helps us when the bunk, when a player's down injured, the bunker can, can see that. Um, and that's the difference between, like you say, when a player relaxes um, and, it hit, and it hits them in the back compared to hitting them on the side or in the front where I can see where you are and I can sort of help mitigate that that force. Yeah, and, and on field, so, you know, we, we are not the match review committee, so we, we have different things that we look at on field compared to them because we don't have, you know, the opportunity to sit there and freeze frame it and slow-mo it and, and, and look at different angles. So you're 100% right in what we look for. So one of the indicators that I look for to start with, okay, we've got a penalty, is yeah where the contact was made. So in, in the back is more likely or higher likelihood of um, arising in further action compared to if I come from front on. Because two factors, front on, less of the whiplash, but I can also see it coming. Mm. You know, I see that so I can brace for impact. So it, it lessens the um, sort of impact for injury. It lessens the, yep. the chance of injury. So that's one of the things we look at. Um, yeah, then we obviously take into account, you know, the injury of the player, mm. like how bad the player yeah. is injured. And, and sometimes that's a good indicator, sometimes it's not, because it could depend on, you know, the, the size of the player could make yeah. a difference. A little halfback compared to, we saw one a couple of weeks ago on... Um, it was like big man on big man. Uh, yeah, it was Cronulla. It was on Andrew Fafita. Andrew Fafita, yeah. Um, who, you know, the, the impact on him is going to be completely different to the impact on, say, a Cooper Cronk or a, a you know, Cameron Munster, because yeah. they're smaller guys. So, you know, there's lots of factors that we take into them. That's why it's very hard to... You know, especially for the public, I, I see to say, well, what's the difference between this one and this one? Mm. You know, they look that one looks a lot worse than that one. But why are they charged? Or why are they both penalised? Why are they both sin bin? Mm. But we look at, you know, we're looking at sort of different factors into into why. So one that might not look as forceful might be more dangerous because it's from behind. Yeah. Where one that's from the front might have more force mm. and might be later. Yeah. So you know, that's why you got to. You can't just go well. He wasn't as the late t- on that one. Well, yeah. The, the timing, timing of, of it, it looks that's exactly the same. Yeah. Yes. It's it, it it's. it's I don't know if this is going to confuse people, but the timing it was probably the least factor yeah. when it comes to higher. Yeah. Like the timing obviously is for penalties. Yeah. Like if the later I am, the more likely it's going to be a penalty. Yeah. But when we look at next levels, we're looking more at you know the force and the unavoidable yeah. stuff. Yeah. If that helps, I think. Yeah. Well, and that's why we may have games where a player is 
Simbin for one of those one of those hits, and later on in the game or earlier in the game, there was a tackle which seemed maybe similar, and it was just a penalty. But the difference would be, and it, it, it may be hard to see from the viewers at home, but the difference would be um, how forceful that impact was and where the impact was. Like yeah. we say, in the side or the front is different to in the back, which is similar to what we look at with those cannonball tackles, which thankfully we're seeing a, we've seen a lot less of over the last couple of years because we started getting strong on them. Yeah. Is that when a player hit from the side, it was a, from behind, it was a lot different than a player hitting from in front. And we say, well, the force is exactly the same and the level of where they hit them on the legs is exactly the same, but it's very different front or side to back. Yeah, Player safety is just paramount. We, do, we don't want any of that happening. So that's that's why the game has moved the way it has. And um, I guess I applaud are, it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, yeah. Just, I, well, I just want to see those players play as much as they can. Probably the last thing I want to talk about on that issue of the late hits is as referees, um, how do we get that? So between the referees and the touch judges. So let's, let's take out the one where a player is just on the ground injured and we've got time out and we get the bunker to be able to look at it. Okay, In just the ones where it happens in the moment, uh, whose role is it um, and, and what are those indicators that we're looking for? And I guess for our younger referees who might be listening, you know, how can they work those skill sets into their game? Yeah, and it's, and it's going to be different at the NRL level to the next level down because at the NRL level, the assist ref will have a lot of responsibility for... The, the lateness and the forcefulness. All right, so let's talk about that to start with. In a true referee model, um, how does it work? Yeah, so, well, obviously the, the main referee or the, the lead referee at the time is watching the ball because we've got a pass there. Um, you've got lead runners. You've got a lot of stuff happening as that happens. And the catch, you know, so we're looking at potential knock-ons, forward pass and stuff. Touch judges are in a similar thing. You know, they're, they're, they're pushing up to be in line with passes. Um, if, if the play's going away, the touch judge has some responsibility on the on the lateness of the tackle as well. The touch judge can assist there. So if I'm passing from my left to right, pretty much the touch judge who is on that side that I'm passing towards, they're judging um, the contact on me. Or no, the catch. The, sorry, sorry the, yeah, more the catch and, and that, whether that's forward, pa- uh, forward pass and then the catch. Yep. The touch judge who was on the far side, or not Who's even not necessarily me. the far side, but where the ball is going away from, Yes, he's almost he or she is almost like on back play. So looking yes. for the contact on where the ball just came from, so the person who passed it. So if we go back to the one ref model and district football model, that's exactly what happens. Yep. Because you don't have an assist referee there, we look at roles and responsibilities. Responsibility of the referee is obviously the ball, yep. and then the responsibility of the touch judge where the ball is being passed to is forward pass and the um, contact on the person receiving the ball, whether it's tackled early, yep. high, whatever. And then the responsibility of the touch judge, who I say is looking at the number, so looking behind the, the player passing the ball and the ball going away from them. Um, well, that official's responsibility is then the lateness or the force or highness or any foul play on the on the guy that's either just passed the ball or the kicker yep. who's just kicked the ball. So when you break it down, there's you know, at the NRL level... Responsibility is the same because the touch judge still has some of that responsibility. But at park and district level, the responsibility virtually solely lands on the touch judge that the ball's going away from. And then when we've got the assist ref, the assist ref is obviously behind and has... That's your main role is that contact on because you're... Proximity-wise, you're closer you're to it, over the top than, of it than where the touch judge is. Um, but you can weigh up that information between the touch judge and, and the assist ref- referee, which definitely definitely helps. And as the assist referee from behind, you do get a good view of um, whether that person who passed the ball, whether that hit is in the back or not, because 
as they start to turn, they're turning towards you. So if you start to see their face, yeah. you know that they're getting hit in the back more than if you're seeing their number. Yep. Yep. And as this history, um, you actually feel it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like um, one of the, the things I love about running around behind the ruck is you, you get to hear and virtually feel what happens out there. Without getting hurt without, yourself. <laughs> without waking up sore on Monday morning, although at my age I still wake up sore Monday morning just from running around. But, yeah, what it does, it gives you that... And you just, yeah. I don't know how to sort of explain it, but you actually you feel yeah. the contact. Yeah. So that's how we sort of can judge a bit of the um, mm. forcefulness of it. What I do want to add to that is, um, you know, and we've seen you know, the discussions around whether we've been too harsh on, on some of them, is that lower levels of the game, I'd much prefer referees to be harsher on it. Oh, absolutely. I'd much prefer us to get wrong in penalising something we think is foul play mm. as opposed to missing something missing completely something, and not penalising foul play. Like... I, like I spoke about earlier before, I ran a referees course on um, Saturday morning and a lot of it's based around the safe play code, which we have in under 15s and below about, you know, making the game safe for young kids to play. And my big sell when I do a referees course is when you go out and referee your first games of football, I don't care that you get knock-ons wrong and forward passes wrong and you get rules wrong. That's going to happen. We all do it. I still do it now at the NRL level. I still get those things wrong. What I do care about is the safety of the kids. So I would much rather you be harsh on the safe play stuff and get that right. When you walk away from here, as long as you know that, if you walk away from here knowing the safe play code, I've done my job. I'm happy with that. The rest of the stuff we can coach. You can learn along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So... uh, for, for those um, refereeing at, at, at district level and, and you know below the NRL level, safety of players is paramount more than getting decisions right, or mo- or more than worrying about that. Uh, you know, I've, I've harshly penalised someone for a, a late tackle or a forceful tackle. I'd much I, uh, yeah. to me as a coach or to me as a lover of the game, I'd rather it be that way than the other way. Yeah, it's a better philosophy to to, to take. Um, we'll move on to a listener question that we had um, this week and I had a, a few people sort of tweet about this and um, a few bit, bit of different commentary back and forth between um, a, few, a few listeners online. Um, there's a question around why sometimes do we see a team give away a certain amount of penalties, X, X amount of penalties, um, in a, whether it's in a row or like in a certain amount of time and not have a player simbind? But then we see another team give away, say, four in a row and they end up having someone simbind. And I understand that from a, from a viewer point of view. Can I just jump in? And, and I, in? Until this morning, I didn't know we were going to talk about this question. But I bumped into a former, oh, you can call it a grade of our game, an ex-player uh, this morning was having a chat around some footy and just general stuff. And this sort of came up. Yeah. So he was asking me about, if, the first thing he asked me was, do, do we know and feel what the penalty counts are? Yeah. And I said, generally around what it is, it is because he asked if we get tips on it and yeah. that we don't. We so don't, we, yeah. we don't get told what the penalty counts are on field. Um, but part of our skill set is to understand where we're at with penalty. So um, it's quite a good question to ask because this is a, a grade of the game was asking some of the questions around, you know, when do we sin bin and why do we sin yeah. bin and you know, is it just a number-based thing? Yeah. Well, it is one of the biggest skill sets of a referee um, in those technical – so away from, um, you know, communication and positioning and that sort of stuff. In terms of, uh, I guess, a game management skill set, um, this is one of the hardest ones to get is to know where you're at with the penalties and know what those penalties are for, but not just that – it's how deliberate those penalties were and were was it a team 
testing you or testing uh, doing something to um, hinder the other team. And gain an advantage. Yeah, and gain an advantage. advantage compared to I've kicked the ball out on the full, I got tangled up in the ruck, we slipped a bit and there was a high tackle. Yeah. A range... Um, you're always at some stage going to have people offside on the 10 metres, yeah. those sort those of things. And, and you need to weigh that up as a referee. So in the middle of us refereeing and running up to 12 kilometres with the pressure of an NRL game, making all these decisions, um, we've also got to know, we talk about, did you know where you were at? Where the it's, game was at. Yeah, where's the, where's the game at? And we've got to adjust what we do based on, okay, where's where's the game at? Yeah, so... so- uh, well, I've got a couple of things on it. So we've tried all different... Yeah, you know, over my time in, in the NRL, we've tried all different ways to deal with this. And it, at some stage, it was just based on... It was just... It was, they'd given away six penalties, uh, and the penalty count's 6-1 or 7-1 or whatever, and the greater world couldn't accept that that was the case, so someone had to go to the So I, re- I vividly remember a game that you had. Newcastle, Newcastle were playing. Newcastle West Tigers and that's effectively what it was it probably was about a 6-1 penalty count it was 6-1 that's why I said it (laughs) and it was really like it was within the first 10-15 minutes of the the game and in your debrief you didn't you didn't sin bin anyone and in your debrief that was the criticism at the time or that That was was a strong criticism yeah Yeah. at the time was that um, yeah people just couldn't accept that you could have that sort of penalty count and no one sitting down. But when you look back at what the penalties were, you had two kick out. One, yeah, there was one kick out on the full. There was the one uh, kick off, uh, a, a goal on dropout that didn't go 10 metres. Goal on dropout didn't go 10 metres. You had a kick chaser offside. Yeah, so that's three. And so, then there was, there was a couple in the and then three. So effectively, when you look at those three, you've got the goal line dropout, the kick off, and a kick chaser. They're not really, really do penalties. they count? Yeah. Like, and well, so, that, so effectively, sorry. you've got three penalties in the game, which are like you say, a team testing or trying to gain an, an advantage. It, it came off the back of, and this is how our game evolves and things happen. Where there was a game where the penalty count went out to 10 uh, one. So there was nine. It was one nil, and then it went ten penalties in a row against one side. And this is before all this. You know, we're worried about in the red zones and all that. I'm, I'm talking, you know, 2006 or seven. That's how long. You know, it's a long time ago, but. All of us, because we'd never seen that, you know, before that, we'd, you know, we'd never seen something, so it was new, so people freaked out. Hmm. And it's like, how can that happen? How can that happen? Can I mean, it was one often, team perfect and one team so bad. And, and what it was, was the team that was giving them away were under the pump and they couldn't compete unless they did, hmm. you know what I mean, for a while. But because it was a new scenario, we didn't really know what to do. So then it was like, we went, like we say with some <laughs> things, we went too far the other way. We went, well, if a team gives away, you know, five or six in a row... We have, to, we, have to, we have to action it. We have to action it. And it's repeated infringements because one of the reasons why you can sim bin under the rules is repeated infringements. Yeah. And, and in my scenario, I'd had those and I knew where the game was at. I knew well, I've had a lot of penalties against this one side, but I, I just thought, you know, using my skill set that it would have been an injustice to have someone in the sim bin mm. for, for what had occurred. And, and the problem was the sixth penalty that was given away was... Two guys was tangled. It, in, it, was, it, was no, a, it was two guys tangled in the ruck, yeah. and it was Martin Tapao who was at marker when he played for West yeah. Tigers. And as he was getting up to get to marker, the ball got yeah. dislodged. It was an accident, but you know it was no fault to the defense uh, attacking team, so they had to get the penalty. The ball as he was coming back to get back to marker, Martin Tapao sort of yeah. kicked the ball. So, out. so he didn't do it cy- deliberately. Yeah, so it was not a cynical act. It wasn't deliberate, but yes, he broke play down, so there has to be a penalty. And technically, there Martin Tapao would have been the one going to the yeah. sin bin when for the rest of it he'd been clean. So. Mm. 
I, I, I made a decision what I thought was best for that game, and you know, in hindsight, um, I should have made a different one because at the well, time at that's the what time, it was. Yeah. Um, where we've sort of gone away from that a bit now, and like you said, we're, we're much better. I'm much better skilled now in that stuff than I was back then. Mm. Um, having different footy coaches come in with us over the years, and you know, just full-time professionalism and and you know having that skill base and being around for a lot longer where we now have the ability to sort of weigh all those factors mm. up and that's why we can get games where there is a you know there might be a, a seven six penalty count mm. but the team with the less giving away the less penalties ends up having Has someone the one in the, in the bin, bin yeah. because theirs were more so they cynical might have, they might have like, gone four in a row in the space of I'm picking random numbers in the space of seven minutes and they were all in the red zone holding down, breaking down the ruck, something like that, um, compared to, yeah, another team's given away 10 penalties, but it's included a 10 metres, an escort, a high tackle, a this or that. And there, yeah, there are penalties that we give on field where we know the team want to give it. There yeah. are penalties where players will just lay in there and look at us and wait for us to blow the whistle yeah. because they want to defend from a structured yeah. start yeah. And, they, and they'll take the punt that it's only going to be a penalty. Yeah. So if that's the third penalty in a row in that area and it's that one that's so cynical and mm. we know, and teams have calls and they actually yell at players mm. to say, you know, so we, we get all that. So that's when we're more likely to, as opposed to, like you say, where some of them may be unlucky penalties that we just had to give. So yeah. that's why it may seem wrong, mm. but the game and, you know, the flow of the game will dictate what we do and when we do it. Yeah, and that's why it's, it is so hard. Um, and I totally appreciate that you have viewers sitting at home watching a, TV, watching a game on TV or at the ground and going, I don't understand that. And I, I would I don't be the same. Because I, when, unless you're really paying attention to... Every bit of it, and like you say, there are calls that players make or teams make on the field. Yeah, well, sitting in the crowd or sitting at home, you're not going to know that. You're not going to know that they deliberately did that. Well, you know, and, and to go even further, that there's a lot of occasions, especially when on goal line defence, um, and players are offside continuously. We don't penalise them every time they're off. Mm. But we take the opportunities when they the game best suits that, yeah. when they have an impact on, an impact play, on or, play or we're, whether we're, it just gets to a point where we just got to do something to change what, behaviour. That's what I was going to say, yeah. So, so if they're on the right-hand side and the ball's going to the opposite side, then we're not going to penalise them. But if that player's doing that all the time and we're continually calling him, then we're going to go, no, well, you're not working with us, bang, we're well, going to It might you. be a whole team. So we may have only had three penalties for 10 metres, but we may have had 10 other occasions when we probably should have or could have, mm. but the flow of the game, it didn't same in the ruck. Mm. Yeah, we might penalise three slow play the balls, but within that five minutes or, or 10 minutes when those three penalties were given away, there might have been four or five others that we decided to run with. Real borderline because we went... Well, or yes, even ones that were probably over the border, but we go, they've got them on the rack here, we want to play a bit of footy and see if they can gain yeah. an advantage because they've got them on the back foot or whatever. So... That's still in our memory bank to go, yeah, I've only given three, but there was four other occasions where I could have. Where they tested us, yeah. They're really, really taking us on here and we need to make sure that, you know, the the attacking team's not disadvantaged just by giving away penalties. So um, there's plenty of factors into it and it's it's, it's a high skill set and we continue to talk about our high skill sets here, but that's the reason why we are NRL officials and we can do that at at, at speed. Yeah, and like I said, I... I I think it's a really good question. It's an awesome question. Um, good one, good one to ask, and for us to have a, a punt at trying to trying to explain it because it is difficult to explain those nuances in in what we do. Because um, it seems inconsistent. It, it seems it, wrong. It yeah, just seems wrong yeah. when you look at numbers. But I pure guess, numbers. Yeah. Well, I guess the main thing that I wanted to touch on was that no, we don't go on just numbers. Definitely. Um, not. Or no, we don't go on. Um, a differential between X amount of penalties or that many penalties for, for the other yeah, team. Yeah, there's no things number that, of penalties that yeah, have to be simbin. Yeah, the things that come into 
into account, apart from taking out things of that we simbin in for things of foul play or a professional fouls. foul, take them out, just the repeated infringement sort of one. Um, the things we take into account is how deliberate they are in giving away penalties and we do take into account in that attacking zone. Because yeah, it's as, more tactical in that, in yeah, that area. Yeah, as, as well. Um, and then you see a lot of the time that once we put a team on a warning, which we don't have to do, but We've spoken about this before. We generally try to because it's a good process in trying to work with players. We say no more or, you know, someone might be sitting down. And if they want to take us on, well, that's... That's that's part of the battle. Exactly right. That's on them. Um, So, yeah, great great question for for this week. Yeah. Um, So, off the back of that, we talk about this weekend. Um, It's a pretty special round of of rugby league where it's the women in league round. So, obviously, I can't even remember when it started, but it's been quite a while. Over 10 years now. Yeah, it's over 10 years now where, you know, it's it's about valuing... Because traditionally, rugby league was such a man's game for a long time. And, you know, over the past 15, 20 years, we've really accepted that females play a massive role in our game. And it's at all levels of the game. It's it's very much so grassroots, grassroots football doesn't exist... And it hasn't, wouldn't have been able to exist since day one if it hasn't been for females in our game. And we're now at a, at a point where, with the um, NRLW, where hopefully we'll see females at all levels at coaching. We've got females playing at the highest level and females officiating at the highest level. Um, female physios at clubs. So across all the game, where we shouldn't be surprised when we see a female in a role, where it's just natural. Like it's not a point where we go, oh, isn't that great? They've got you know a, a girl doing whatever job, where now it's just another person doing another job, where we're getting much, much closer. We've still got a long way to go um, as a game. But I love the fact that our game acknowledges and appreciates and tries to reward and and give time. It should be, to me, we shouldn't need the round. I'd love it that we don't need women in the league round, but um, I like the fact that it's there and and we do it. So we've got uh, a couple of special things on in the refereeing department this week, especially tomorrow. Yeah, so part of the um, officiating department at the NRL, um, they run a what's known as a Willop program, so Women in League Officiating Program, and that's headed up by um, Steve Clark, ex-NRL referee, currently um, one of our bunker officials as well. Um, so he will be coming in tomorrow um, with a bunch of young uh, female referees who are who've been identified with, you know, a bit of, bit of talent at the sort of grassroots sort of yeah, level very much and a little bit starting into starting, programs yeah. and some of our emerging academy programs yeah, starting to move up a bit and um they're gonna have the opportunity to come in and train with our squad um do a, do a field session with us they'll do a, a strength session with our performance staff um and we'll get them in on our meetings and um i think belinda sharp and i will do a bit of a, a session with them as well um so that's be a great opportunity for them and to show them that there are pathways in our space um for them. Part of that program, I know earlier in the year, um, with Stephen Clark running that program, where they got um, a big chunk of female officials from all levels of the game. So even, you know, some of the girls, that's their first year in refereeing and they brought them all together so they could sort of do a bit of a workshop around the issues that they have in the game um, about their progressions and, and their pathway. So going forward, hopefully... Um, you know, like I said, it's it's not a surprise when we see a woman out there officiating at any level of the game, and and it just becomes the norm. Yep, and um, people watching the games this weekend, you'll see that we actually have a special jersey that the referees are wearing this weekend, which will be the third um, jersey that we've had where we spoke about on Anzac round and um, Indigenous. the Indigenous round. That it's the first year this year that we've had a say into our into the design of of our jerseys. So the jerseys you'll see us wearing this weekend. Um, 
have we were all able to submit names um, of special females in our lives um, that, that have helped us with our you know yeah. our involvement in the game yeah mm. um, and put them down the uh, side of our shirt down the, the down the panelling so um, I've got my my mum's name uh, Mary she, she'll be down the, the side of my jersey and my nuna so I've got an Italian Italian background um, and her name will be on the jersey as well yeah well um, on mine I've got obviously I've got um, Yourself, so I've got Casey on the side of mine. I've got my daughter Shantae and my mum Carol. So um, fortunate enough to be able to wear that jersey this weekend, and then and then be able to yeah, be able to, to you know give those um, to, to those, so my daughter and my mum will will get jerseys, and obviously you'll have one yourself. So yeah. and and your your mum and daughter will, will get one. And also on the jersey, apart from the names, we've also got a couple uh, some pictures of. Um, photos of a couple of our um, young females that are part of the Willett program. So we're giving some recognition to not only the highest level of the game, but also some of our gra- grassroots officials. Also on those jerseys, we have the squad numbers of both Casey and, and Belinda, who are members of our squad. So all the referees this weekend, instead of our own numbers, will be wearing um, Casey's and Belinda's numbers to acknowledge those two in our squad as well. Yes, it's pretty pretty special. I think um, to have those three things on there, we acknowledge, um, you know, it's a bit of... There's a bit of embarrassment there, but but it's pretty cool to acknowledge um, Belinda and, and myself um, of all of you guys wearing our numbers. So being the the first two females at at this level, um, so you're showing that elite level. Then with the photos of the younger referees, we're showing the grassroots level that acknowledgement, and then the, the acknowledgement of the um, special women within our lives down the panelling. So yeah, it's I think past, that present, future sort yeah. of look at it, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's really it's really, really good and pretty exciting. We have to thank um, Jerry Sutton in particular, but also the leadership group of our squad for making sure that these things you know sort of Happen, came yeah. to fruition. And you know, it doesn't just happen. Yeah. Yeah. Guys have got to put work in. So, yep. Um, so this women in league round, Gav, what are you up to? Something different. I'm travelling. <laughs> um, not as much as I did last week. So, uh, Gold Coast on Friday, 6 p.m. So, I'll, I think I fly up Friday morning and home Saturday morning. So, pretty much an in and out one. Yep. Uh, and back. So, yeah. And, you, and you're then, off somewhere as well. Yeah. So I'm off to Melbourne for Saturday. Melbourne versus Canberra. So pretty excited about that one. It should be a really tough clash. I, th- I think I actually had this game uh, last year as well. It was um, it was fairly tough. Two sides in really good form, yeah. aren't they? So yeah. Re- really look- looking forward to that and hoping. Um, Hoping I can organise something, get yourself and maybe Cooper down yeah, to Melbourne as well. Down. Have a bit of a bit of a family trip there and uh, actually see you a bit this weekend, maybe. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad uh, thing for you. Like <laughs> we'll work it out. Um, so with that, I'd like to encourage everyone to join our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our Facebook page is NRL Officiating, and Instagram handle is at NRL Officiating. So give us a follow to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of rugby league officials across the country, from under sixes through to the NRL. And if you're interested in becoming a referee, and maybe Badge will run your referees course. I know, I might be. I might be. <laughs> please visit refrugbyleague.com. Thank you for listening to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye.